This is former New York Jets defensive lineman Mike DeVito, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet. From Joe Namath's Super Bowl guarantee. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee it. To Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between. They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark Ingram. And it is juggled and caught by Jumbo Elliott. This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best. The New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. And worse. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. Moments in New York Jets history. So get ready to hop in your DeLorean and take a trip back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? For an in-depth look at the most memorable games, seasons, players, and events in the history of gangrene, it's time to play like a jet. Play like a jet? What does that mean? With your hosts, Scott Mason and Big John Sparapolis. And welcome to Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at the biggest moments in New York Jets history. My name is Scott Mason, alongside my tag team partner, 6'2", 265 pounds, and whether he's number one or number 30 in the Royal Rumble, he's always going to be the last man standing, Mr. Big John Sparopoulos. What's going on, John? Uh, Scotty, what an intro. Doing well, uh, inching our way closer to uh, training camp. That we are. Training camp is less than a week away. I can't wait. We're going to have daily reports from the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, who's going to be live at all the training camps. And we're also going to have, of course, post-game and pre-game reports for all the preseason games. So we're going to get started early here on Play Like a Jet. We've been waiting around for this. It's been a bit of a dead time period ever since Joe Douglas took the job and then Bam Bam went out and hired some assistants. We had some stuff to talk about there. We've gone over some of the stuff from 2018 and we're going through film reviews and statistical reviews. But the action is coming back, John, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, Scotty, it's... uh a little bit of a dead time for sports. I mean, don't get me wrong. I uh, love baseball as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm really waiting for camps to start up. Truthfully, I think that the stretch from the end of June after the NBA Finals until the end of July when training camp starts is right up there with the month of February in dead sports time because obviously in February you have – the middle of the regular season for the NHL and the NBA, and then right now you have the middle of the regular season for baseball. But it's just not the same as having something to really sink your teeth into. With football, all the games matter because it's such a short season. And then with the other sports, as you get down the home stretch, that's when it really picks up. And then obviously in March and the beginning of April, you have March Madness. But I think this stretch is just about over and not a moment too soon, John. Yes, Scotty, I concur, especially now that uh, NBA free agency took care of itself basically in one night outside of the Kawhi Leonard uh, news. But, yes, Scotty, I'm uh, ready for some football. I think we all are. We're getting ready for kickoff, which is less than 50 days away. It is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be the Packers and the Bears on Thursday night football. 
great way to start things, but our Jets will get started that Sunday up against the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, one-on-one, head-to-head, and of course, the Jets debut of Le'Veon Bell, who is one of the best skill players the Jets have had since our guest who's been on, well, now I guess it would have been the last six months or so because it's been stretched out with all the news, but we are finally at the end of our series on the 13-year career of the great number 85, Wesley Walker, three-time Pro Bowler for the New York Jets in the Ring of Honor, one of the greatest receivers in team history, and we were privileged enough to have him sit down and talk to us and give us all the details on his life and his career. It's almost like it's the prelude to a book, John. I wonder if that could be coming down the line because Wesley has had so many outstanding stories that we've heard about playing with one eye and then of course all the stuff going on in the locker room where he talked about the racism stuff with the coaches fellow players steroids all the details of the games and some of the juicier details of the memories that he had after some of the bigger wins and losses some of his own personal big moments like that four touchdown game against the miami dolphins in 1986 and we are finally at the end of the road of this journey I am excited to dive into this final part, John. What do you say we go talk to Wesley for part 10 of the series? Uh, geez, Scotty, I'd love to, but uh, I'm on my way to Houston. On your way to Houston for what? Yes, Scotty, our fearless leader, Joe Caparoso, has me on a secret assignment. I'm getting it piecemeal, so right now all I know is I'm on my way to Houston. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess you'll fill me in on that later. If Joe Caparoso sent you, then that's good enough for me. He is our fearless leader. So whatever he says goes, I'll go talk to Wesley Walker for this final part of our discussion, part 10, and then we'll meet back here. How's that? Scotty, as always, sounds like a plan and I'll talk to you soon. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Wesley, last week we left off talking about needles as far as steroids go and why you were afraid to use them as we talked about the 1988 season and how Mark Gastineau left 
the New York Jets and retired at the time saying that it was because he wanted to be with his sick girlfriend, Brigitte Nielsen. And we later found out that it was because he was afraid that he was going to test positive for steroids. Well, Ken O'Brien unfortunately had to get shot up with needles for pain because he was injured quite a bit in the 88 season. And a lot of people didn't really know the extent of it. He ended up struggling. Pat Ryan came in for a bit. There was a little bit of a quarterback seesaw. This seemed to happen a lot throughout your career where Richard Todd would struggle and then it would be Matt Robinson and then Richard Todd would struggle again and now it's Pat Ryan and then O'Brien would struggle and it's Pat Ryan again. Was this a situation where it was just nice to have a guy like Pat Ryan where he could be that steady hand year in and well, year out? Well, we, we there was not one person, and I'll be honest, I don't care, Richard Todd, uh, Matt Robinson, uh, Kenny O'Brien, Pat Ryan. I don't care what backup that we had, and then they're you're 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 they're very capable. And in this league, you just have to get the opportunity. And I feel for like a Pat Ryan, or and even him playing, he could have success, but he got hurt or whatever. Pat Ryan has his one great year, and then he gets hurt. Uh, Richard Todd had his struggle with the injuries, but he's very capable. I always told uh, Richard Todd tried to uh, imitate Joe. I mean, Joe Namath instead of just being uh, Richard Todd. Uh, but everybody can bring something to the table. But this game, man, it is very hard to stay uh, healthy and to have success. And you have to be consistent and you have to bring something to the table week in and week out. Unfortunately, it just doesn't happen week in and week out, and including myself. You know, I know what the, my abilities are. You can have success. You've proven that. But can you do it? over and over again. That's the key. And unfortunately in this game, certain things that happen, you can't do it over and over again. That's what you hope. I mean, I would have loved to have a career like uh, Jerry Rice, year in and year out. But you have to know how to get there. And that's what we didn't know how to do. We didn't have the staff or the conditioning program. And you had to find it. He had this whole conditioning supposedly program. But I wish I knew what I knew now. I would do things differently. But knowing how I feel, I'm so not sure that I would even do this the way I feel. Your old friend Joe Klecko is on the Colts this season. He had left the Jets. And there was an incident in one of the games where he got into a scuffle with Mickey Schuler. And he accused Mickey of trying to cut block him and basically accused him of playing dirty. Was it weird for you to see Joe Klecko on the other side of the field? And also, tell me a little bit about Mickey Schuler. We've touched on him bit by bit here, but I've always maintained that he's the greatest tight end in New York Jets history. Tell me a little bit about playing with him, what he brought to the table, and tell me about if it was a little weird for you to watch well, Joe think, Klecko on the well, other side. Well, I know Mickey Schuler was tough, and I remember... Um, Somebody said, I don't know if it was a defensive idea or even offense, and Mickey would even make a racial slur. I was good friends with him. He was a outdoorsman. Uh, he, I, I like fishing. He liked fishing. I, I think he's a hunter. My, my son does that stuff, but I had a special relationship with him. But that's one guy I would like to know where he is, and I know he lived in Pennsylvania, but I heard he was down in Florida, but he hasn't come back to the Jets, but you're talking about a guy uh, that was just tough, consistent, and I couldn't even say anything about like this tenacity, but just just really, really good. He just did his job, quiet, not a talker, 
but just did his job. And I always had a good relationship. I love this guy. I would love to see him now just to see what he's doing or just have a conversation with him. But he's probably one of the best tight ends that we've ever had. But I also I'm partial to uh, Richie Castor, who I always say he's my idol. He's the only guy I really heard of when I came to the Jets. I never even heard of Joe Namath. Uh, but uh, Mickey didn't have the size and stature of like a Richard Castor, but he could block, he could play, he could catch. Just one of those lunch pail, hard-working guys that come to work and just did his job and could do it very well. Always had a lot of respect for him. So Kenny O'Brien, despite struggling, ends up finishing the season very well, and this includes... Knocking the Giants out of the playoffs, he played very well in that game, and so did the rest of the team. You finish 8-7-1, and one, so it's got to be a little bit of a disappointment that you weren't able to make the playoffs, but at the same time, you were expected to finish dead last in the division. So here's the question. First of all, did you feel like there was something to build on with the young players there going 8-7-1 and one when everybody expected the team to be bad? And... How good did it feel, even though you weren't going to make the playoffs, to knock the Giants out of the playoffs? Absolutely. You always go in with high expectations. I don't care. Every year, there's always that. And no matter even when you're losing, you're coming back, or, or you just played through the season or whatever it may be. Uh, but I remember, in, uh, I remember. Uh, I think Altoon caught one of the last passes in the end zone. I was pissed that it wasn't me on the other side being open. And uh, we knocked them out of the playoffs and knocked them out of the division, you know, where they could have won it. And uh, I'm sure they didn't uh, like it too much. But there's nothing better than that. But obviously, you, you want to have a better record. You want to go to the playoffs. You want to go openly, you know, head to the Super Bowl. But, hey, we did our job, and uh, we knocked somebody else that could have been there. And with the giant jet rivalry, Hey, that was the year that we won that rivalry that year. And it's always a good, good uh, uh, rivalry. And I don't care if it's the charity basketball we played in or playing the, in the preseason. It was always competition. And I have some good, healthy friends from the Giants. But when it came down to playing, hey, there's no friends involved. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Going into 1989, you became a Plan B free agent when the Jets failed to protect you and left you open to go to another team, but you ended up returning for the 1989 season. Did you feel disrespected when the Jets left you open for Plan B free agency at the end of that? No, I always felt I always felt disrespected. They didn't, um, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there were certain times where we renegotiating them, and, they, and I always felt like they did it because they had no choice. I always had to hold out, open to the fire, and I just felt like certain guys they would do certain things for or whatever, and and I felt like I should have at least deserved that respect, but that's just the whole business of it. But I couldn't look at it as whether they disrespected me. It's just, hey, they felt they, they could get away with certain things. I felt like I could get away with certain things or, I felt a certain way, they felt a certain way, and that's just the business of it. 
But uh, in the long scheme of things, what you gave to the team, and I remember even just having a, a fight for my records, or the, you know, you know, my having a, a subpoena my records to do a workman's comp thing. It was like an insult, but I've always had to do that, and that's the whole business part. And if it was all equal, then I would say yes. And certain players probably didn't have to go through that. Why me? I just don't know what. But I could never catch the attitude of it because as far as I'm concerned, that was just the business part of it. You brought up Herm Edwards earlier when he became the first black head coach of the New York Jets. Well, the very first black head coach in NFL history was Art Shell. And yep. he coached against you in his very first assignment on Monday Night Football in Oakland. Do you remember playing in that game? And did you take a special sense of pride in knowing that Art Shell was the first black head coach and this was a watershed moment for the league? Well, I have to say, as an athlete and as a um, black American in this country, I don't look at an African American. I don't look at black. I'm an American, black, mm-hmm. white. It's never mattered to me, but you know that is a, uh, we're just not equal, and that's a problem. Uh, I don't care about, you know, the fact that you have to have affirmative acts, and they have a rooney role, they have an interview with certain amount of black, it's never been equal, and when you get the opportunity, and and when guys do get that opportunity, and as a, a minority, you're happy about that. And I was thrilled to death. I have a lot of respect for Art Shell, and I just remember, uh, you know, just being involved with our our union, and, and just and I always wanted to play for the Raiders. And just you just have a just a lot of respect for people who played in that era, and at that time, being a minority, did you get that opportunity? that you never expected that that would ever happen. And uh, I'm just glad the ownership took the opportunity to really at least try it. And uh, there are some coaches out there that have been successful. I don't think the parity is where it should be. I just think everybody should be equal. Uh, We're not to where uh, that it used to be. It may be a little bit better. It's still not to where it should be, and it's not equal. But all you can do is hope that it's going to prosper and be better for all people. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 1989 was a year that people had hopes for the Jets because they finished strong and had some good young talent. But unfortunately, it ended up in disaster. A 4-12 year. You mentioned this before, Wesley. Fans were spitting at Joe Walton, yelling and screaming. I remember being at games and listening to people in my section and drinking plenty of alcohol at the time as well. Yelling, Joe must go, Joe must go. I believe they made t-shirts and everything out of it. And those fans got their wish because at the end of the 1989 season, that was the end. 
end for Joe Walton. His time with the New York Jets lasted quite a bit, considering that he was the offensive coordinator starting in 81, then the head coach from 83 to 89. We've talked a lot about Joe Walton here, but did you have mixed feelings at the time? Because you had some warm feelings towards him from when he was offensive coordinator, but by the end, I know you said that things had gotten bad between you, but seeing people spit at him, curse at him, yelling Joe must go, wearing the t-shirts, and then he finally gets unceremoniously dumped. Was there a part of you that felt bad for Joe Walton despite your differences? Oh, absolutely. I'm just not like that. I'm not, you know, like If you talk to uh, Greg Buttle, he will diffuse some hateful remarks, and I've never felt that way. And I just spoke to a... Um, uh, the daughter of our equipment manager recently, and that's how I ended up uh, getting his number because he's always invited me to his golf tournament. And I, I and my friend's uh, daughter said that uh, he had heart surgery or something, and she, he would love to hear from me. So I ended up calling back. And he he called me back, and we had a nice conversation. And and uh, and I didn't end on a good note with him, but I'd never harbored this animosity. But we've never had any clothes or even talked about it but for him or for my friend to say hey we'd love to hear from you and he calls back to have a conversation we can talk like that and i had that conversation just like walt michael there's a point where walt michaels a lot of guys didn't like him thought he wasn't very educated and then when you sit down and talk to him in a regular basis after retirement and there are different people and they can talk to you in a in a nice way and you find out man this guy is really sharp and and Walton, all, he was a very, very good coordinator. But, you know, you try to do so many things as a head coach. You, you know, you turn into a different people. He's, it's his first time around. You don't know what he's going through. He has family, just like anybody else. And you don't see ear to ear. But I don't know. Uh, he may have had a reason the way he, he was a certain way. We never committed. Maybe he didn't know where I was coming from. We just never had that conversation. But I would never be a person where I say, I hate this guy, he's just that bad, and I can call him up like, uh, hey, he, he was a friend of mine, he's a coach of mine, and I call him up, but I don't have this animosity like some uh, players would have towards him. I don't know what he did to those players that made him feel that way, because there's a lot of players where he had a real disconnect and didn't maybe treat him a certain way, or when they lost their jobs or had to get cut, and wasn't very nice, and some people, uh, this is a business. Uh, I, You know, I can look past that stuff. That's just part of the business. It's the way it is. You can't take in the, uh, you can't take it personal sometimes. But all I always want is people to tell the truth, and that's what you don't get. Joe Walton was a great coach, but he wasn't a great head coach. He changed. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 1989 was the end for Joe Walton, but it was also the end for Wesley Walker. You missed half the season with an ankle injury, and then at the end of 1989, that was the end for you. At a certain point during that season, with the ankle injury and everything, had you decided that that was going to be it for you, or were you still holding out hope that maybe you no, would come it back? No, it wasn't about that for me, and, and Joe Walton was the head coach during that time, and they were dictating to me, and uh, I just felt I'm not going to let the, the team dictate to me when I retire. There was some word, I don't know what had gone on, but I had a very serious neck injury uh, going on. Didn't know if I wanted to play, didn't know if I could play. And like I said, Bud Carson went to Cleveland. He had called me to see if I'd be interested. And I went back to my doctor 
thinking, hey, there's a possibility uh, that I would play, and I, but I'd have to get clearance. And my daughter said, boy, you're taking a chance. And why I did that for three years, I must have been out of my mind. I just got lucky. I didn't end up in a wheelchair, and that was enough for me. So that's when I decided to hang it up. But I didn't want the, the Jets or Joe Walton to dictate to me uh, when I should retire or what I needed to do. You know, you kind of know what you need to do. But you have to go through the process, but uh, they didn't do it in the right way, and they did that with certain people, uh, but uh, it's just the way they approached it, and they could approach it in a different way. But, hey, it's, it, it's a difficult time for some people, and, and I don't know that uh, teams really know how to do it the right way with people. So in the end, you end up with... 19 yards per catch average, which is 12th of all time. Five seasons you were in the top 10 in touchdowns. Four seasons in the top 10 yards per receptions. Twice you were in the top 10 in yards per game. Just an incredible career. You were in the Pro Bowl twice. 13 years in the NFL. The Jets ring of honor. Like you said, Hall of Fame talent. When you look back at your career, what is the first thing that really stands out to you? What do you really think about most when you think back at your career? I, and I hate to be negative. It's regret staying healthy. That's only I, I know what I could bring to the table. I know what could have been. And in this game, you want to reach the pinnacle. You want to be a Hall of Famer. You want to put up the numbers. And you do that by staying healthy. That's the only regret. Um, uh, sometimes the system doesn't require you like I you just mentioned uh, JoJo saying Al can do both, a deep, short. We both could do deep, short, or whatever, but they put labels on you, and sometimes you're confined to a system. And unless you have a coach that can see something in you and to develop you and to make it better or see something that nobody else sees, I swear if I would have been Lamb Jones' coach, he would have made me a superstar, but nobody could see that. I don't even know why the coaches couldn't see that in him. He had this talent. Uh, but the only regret I have is that I wish I had had a vision on how to stay healthy to have the much uh, most success that I could have had to make it better than what I had. But I've been blessed. I have to thank God for the blessings that I did have and, not too many people can even say they played 13 years in the National Football League. So I'm, I'm very grateful. So in summing everything up, you've talked a lot about regret just now. You've mentioned about all the injuries and how you feel poor sometimes. If you could do it all again, would you? And also, as far as the retired players, you've been very active with the retired players, trying to get more and more for them. Do you feel like the league should be doing more for the retired players like yourself? And if so, what do you think that they should be doing? Well, I think they should do more for all the players. They, there, there should be a health program. There should be a health program, even if the players had to buy uh, something like a, like when I tried from teaching, I can, you know, I have a health care program, so I have health insurance. Uh, there should be a program for all the debilitating injuries. Uh, I don't know if they will even uh, 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 even acknowledge that. I just hope that one day they will even acknowledge the truth of just the, what has happened. And I mean, there are the guys that have played this game before my time that are going through a lot of circumstances that is related to uh, the injury factor or just health in the period. 
and I just wish there's a program that they could have help for that. Uh, that's just one of the things. Uh, the retirement, the pension should be better, uh, but it's all up to the, the players, the players' association, trying to get it to be better, but they need to focus on certain issues, and I think more players have to speak up to see what problems that they are having and uh, come up with a program and a plan, uh, try to adjust the issues that is most important to uh, the current and former players that retire. So if you could do it all again, would you? Nope. Not the way I'm feeling right now. You have no idea. I was thinking about this interview tonight, and I was feeling so bad. I'm like, how do? why do I have to feel this way? And I, I, I remember my mom saying to me, I'm so disappointed. Why do you have to play that? that ball. She always said, why do you have to play that? I sit and watch you with these injuries and everything else, but to feel the way I feel now and the surgeries that I've been through, and most of my surgeries have been after my career, and it's all stemmed from football, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody, and I don't like the way I feel. It's horrible, and I don't like it, and uh, I wish I could change it. I wish they had something out there I could take that makes me feel normal, but I don't, and it's just going to be the rest of my life till I die. And that's not a good feeling. You heard it here first. Wesley Walker wishes he was a legend in baseball instead of football, right? I'll tell you that. But my mom didn't wish that either because she's worried me getting hit in my eye with that. That was a reason because I got hit a couple times in my <laughs> eye. And uh, But, you know, I count my blessings. I wouldn't change it for a thing, you know. I would not change it for a thing. Uh, I, I would like to think that I would go about things or making certain decisions or doing things that I would think about that I wouldn't do that I did. If you could say one thing to all the Jets fans out there who are huge fans of yours, who have been admirers of yours forever, what would you say? I just want to thank them for their support. I just ran into a lady, and it just makes me feel good. I run into so many, many fans. And she told me that her dad, and they were Jewish, and she said, uh, usually they name their kids after certain family members or certain, I don't know how she described it. And he was such a Jets fan and a Wesley Walker fan. He wanted to name his son Wesley, and, and her, her, her his wife liked the name Wesley. And I wish I could meet him. And he passed away, and I just signed a bunch of autographs. I sent her a bunch of stuff because I was so moved by this story, and I get a lot of Stories like that, uh, just support or just people being really fans. And uh, when you uh, look at my ring uh, honor, the one of the things that I did said, I played this game because of fame, and I really love that support, win or lose. And 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 that's what I enjoy. I love the fans, and 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 if I can be an inspiration to anyone, whether it's a kid, an adult. You know, I appreciate that, and that's what I like most. And if I can be a, a, just a, a, such a good, get the football player or whatever, but if I can influence someone in a positive way, in a good way, that's what I care about. I love people. And I love the Jet family. One of the greatest players in New York Jets history, Wesley Walker, the great number 85. He is, of course, a member of the Ring of Honor And I can't tell you how grateful I am that he was willing to take the time to go bit by bit, piece by piece, through his 13-year career here on Play Like a Jet. Wesley, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and I'm very grateful. I appreciate the time.
There's the 10th and final part of our in-depth discussion with Wesley Walker, the all-time great wide receiver for the New York Jets, number 85. The fact that his number isn't retired is really a bit of a travesty. I still don't understand why. He's in the ring of honor. You would think they'd retire his number. But to me, no matter who wears 85, it will always belong to Wesley Walker. And I'm so glad that he was able to join us for this series. I think based on some of the stories that he told, there's definitely room for a book in the future. I'm looking forward to really trying to suss out some more details. Maybe I'll talk to Wesley about getting something going there down the line. But John... You were not with me yet again, unfortunately, for this final part of the interview with Wesley Walker because Joe Caparoso sent you on some sort of top-secret mission that required you driving five hours from Fort Worth to Houston. Must have been important to get you to do that. So now can you tell me a little bit of what was going on? Yes, Scotty, I sure can. Scotty, uh, Joe sent me down to Houston to uh, sniff out this Jadanian clowny holdout situation. So what exactly was he sending you down there to do? Well, Scotty, he knows I wear many, many hats, and he wanted me to talk to the uh, Houston Texans uh, management because currently they don't have a quote-unquote general manager. And Joe wanted me to sniff around and maybe see the availability of maybe a trade for Clowney for the Jets. Hmm, so were you able to get something done? Did you get a chance to talk to the collective that now runs the Houston Texans front office and make some headway about possibly getting Jadavian Clowney to the New York Jets? Unfortunately, Scotty, I, I wasn't able to. The owner and the head coach of the Houston Texans, their office was on the uh, fifth floor of the building and the elevator was out. And everybody knows last week I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, and tore my Achilles. So it was kind of hard just to walk up one flight of stairs. Scotty, I turned around, got back in my car, and headed home. John, with all those injuries, how did you even drive to Houston? Scotty, uh, boy, that Uber bill was very expensive. <laughs> expensive to Joe Caparoso. Sorry, Joe. Trying our best to get Jadavian Clowney here. Ah, well, you gave it a shot, John. That's all you can do. Hopefully, the Jets front office will have a little bit more luck when Joe Bam Bam Douglas does his due diligence asking about Jadavian Clowney than you did. I'm sure he will ask about Jadavian Clowney and do his due diligence because that, of course, is what general managers do, although unlike Mike McCagnin, it may not become public because that was the whole joke, John. You remember the almost Jets that for some reason Mike McCagnin always had to find a way to make it public whenever he checked in on a player. Yes, Scotty, I'd say we have a lot of almost Jets in the Pro Bowl each year. Every year, the almost Jets are one of the best teams in the league, so got to give it to Mike McCagnin. He almost acquired a really good team, and if he had maybe he would still be the general manager instead of Joe Bam Bam Douglas. But, unfortunately for Mike McCagnin, he is not the general manager of the New York Jets anymore. Joe Bam Bam Douglas is. Adam Gase, the new head coach, in for Todd Bowles, who was let go. So it's a whole new era of Jets football with Sam Darnold going into his second year. Can't wait for that to happen, and we are going to have, like I said, so much coverage of it all right here on Play Like a Jet on a daily basis. This will be your one-stop shop. Well, this and Joe Caparosa's Turn on the Jets podcast, and of course, Joe Blewett's TOJ Film Room, but you get the idea. You're going to be hearing from us 
at TurnOnTheJets.com a lot, and we are going to have nonstop coverage of this team, wall-to-wall, if you will, and ain't no stopping us. By the way, if you enjoy this program, please go ahead over to iTunes if you haven't already and leave us a review. It doesn't cost any money. It doesn't take much time, but it helps a lot, and we appreciate it. Basically, what it does is it gives us more visibility when people do searches on iTunes or on Google for Jets podcasts. And the more visibility we have, the easier it is for us to get big-name guests and continue to bring you the best programming that we can. So, again, if you could go over to iTunes, really appreciate it. Also, thank you so much to our producer, Alan Schechter, who is a huge reason why we were able to do this series because he was the one that tracked Wesley Walker down and did a good deal of the research. So, Alan, thank you so much. I've said this many times. But, of course, we could not do this show without Alan. Go ahead and follow him if you're not already, at Alan underscore Schechter. That's A-L-A-N underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And read his work along with friend of the show, Mr. Very Big Deal, Chris Nimbley, at JetsInsider.com. Thanks again to Wesley Walker, the great number 85, for joining us for this 10-part series on his 13-year career in the NFL and, of course, his life in general. I'm so excited for our next episode. Aren't you, Bart Scott? Can't wait! Bart, I've said this many times, but now that football is coming, you are the man I want to listen to. You're the best on SNY. You're the best on WFAN. And you have the insights that make it worth watching the post-game show on SNY. I used to enjoy it just for the weird banter between... Adam Shine and Ray Lucas, but now there's some serious analysis on there because of you. And you're entertaining, too. If only you could do that with the other sports, then you'd be the total package. But at least for football season, you are the man. That's going to do it for us this week. My name is Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Big John Sparopoulos. And, John, I believe you know there's only one way that we can end this show. That's right, Scotty. A pleasure, as always. I believe my next trip is to Germany to get that surgery on my leg, so I'll be good as new for next time. Break, break it down. One, two, three, hello!